Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Good afternoon and welcome to Concord Matters on this Tuesday afternoon, August 15th. We're coming to you live from the studios of Worldwide KFUO here at the International Center of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod in St. Louis, Missouri. I am your host for this program. I'm Pastor Charles Henriksen, the pastor of St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bontair, Missouri. If you want to find out more about what's going on at our congregation, you can see our website, stmatthewbt.org. This program, Concord Matters, we're looking at the Book of Concord, the Lutheran Confessions, what our church believes, teaches, and confesses on the basis of God's holy word. We're in the confessional document uh, called the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, which means the defense of the Augsburg Confession, which was the primary confessional document of the Lutheran Church. And uh, we're in a section called Love and Fulfilling the Law, Article 5 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. And um, we will welcome your participation in our program today. You can call us with your comments or questions. Our toll-free number across North America is 800-730-2727. Again, that's 800-730-2727. And our number locally here in St. Louis, area code 314-821-0850. Again, 314-821-0850. You can also send us your comments or questions uh, via email. Our email address is kfuo at kfuo.org. We welcome to the studio today our guest, uh, the pastor of Concordia Lutheran Church in Maplewood, Missouri, Pastor Matt Wood. Welcome, Matt. It's excellent to be here. Good. Now, usually we have two guests on this program, but uh, listeners, Pastor Matt Wood is such a good guest, we only needed one today, so he's (laughs) doing double duty here. So uh, what's going on at uh, Concordia Maplewood? Well, there's actually a lot to talk about, so maybe it's good I'm the only guest. I got uh, (laughs) extra time to make some plugs. Um, This is our 125th year. Uh, in Maplewood, 1892. Uh, uh, fun piece of trivia. The St. Louis Cardinals also had their inaugural year in 1892. Ah. So, anyway, we're having a celebratory concert on August 23rd at 4 o'clock p.m. Uh, at, at the church with a, with a fine dinner afterward. And then Wallace Schultz, former Lutheran Hour speaker, is going to uh, uh, preach to us on s- September 24th, okay. uh, our anniversary uh, divine service, and there'll be a Small presentation after that with uh, some goodies after the service. Um, the other thing we got going on at Concordia is we're starting a Mother's Day Out program. What is Mother's Day Out? Mother's Day Out is Do they for, leave the children at home yeah, and go out? <laughs> well, they leave their children with us oh, and they okay. go out. It's for children from two years old to five years old. All right. 
and we uh, will take them and uh, teach, uh, do some teaching time, play time, uh, Bible story time, uh, and it's Monday through Friday, uh, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Uh, during the school year, and then the, there's a there's a summer schedule as well, but that's a ways off now. Yeah, uh, we're starting on Monday, and we enrollment is open all year round. How can so, people find out more about this or, or register for it? Well, we can. you can call the church office, 314-647-1215, mm-hmm. or you can email our director, her name is Kara, at mdo at concordiamaplewood.org. And do you have a website for your church? Concordiamaplewood.org. I'm actually in the process of uh, renovating that, so we're going to put a fresh new face on the web, that website, and it will become the best way to get information about us. Right now it's the Facebook page. That's the easiest thing yeah, to update. Yeah. But I'm, I'm refreshing the, the website. It's a work in progress. Very good. Well, today we're going to be looking at this section in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession called Love and Fulfilling the Law. And we're in, uh, that's Article 5 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. And uh, we're in a section here called Passages the Adversaries Misuse. Now that subtitle there raises some questions. Who are these adversaries being referred to? Uh, Obviously, we're talking about passages of the Bible. And uh, how are they misusing passages? Why are they misusing Bible passages? Who are these adversaries? Well, this is the apology of the Augsburg Confession. Uh, So the Augsburg Confession, which was uh, presented on June 25th, 1530, just had a brain freeze freeze there a little bit, but uh, 1530, uh, June 25th, and that was, uh, fancy word, confuted. Uh, It was the the, uh, uh, leaders of the Roman Catholic Church uh, uh, spoke against this confession, and they pretty much characterized the Roman position on a lot of these issues, and so they would have been misquoting passages like this, and other Roman Catholic Church leaders would have been making the same uh, claims, especially about, we'll get in today, 1 Corinthians 13, and things like that. So they're really, um, a length in here in the apology is defending uh, what the Lutheran Church teaches about good works and justification by faith, especially. So these passages the adversaries misuse, uh, we would say they're kind of cherry-picking passages, taking them out of context or misinterpreting them. Right. What uh, sorts of what, what is their end in doing that? What are they trying to argue? Well, the adversaries have a very strong and unyielding, uncompromising view of good works. Namely, that they uh, justify, that they uh, are right, a unpack measure, that. What does that yeah, mean, justify? That they are a measure of God's love toward us, good works are, and that, they, that our good works will make us presentable and acceptable to God and appease his anger and wrath over sin. Well, I mean, you have to be kind of a special person to be able to do that, don't you? I mean, you have to work pretty hard. Yes. There's there's one person who is, who is able to do it. Uh, that would be I our Lord Jesus me. Christ, <laughs> uh, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. No, no human born the natural way can do this because of original sin, which we have talked about a lot on this on this program. So what the adversaries do is they begin with this presupposition, uh, this assumption, that that good works are what we need to appease God's wrath, to okay. appease God's anger over sin. And with that assumption, they read into these passages. 
One of my it, it doesn't come up in the in the uh, in what we're going to cover, but a, a little bit earlier on, they quote a passage early in in Romans that says the uh, uh, the works the believer shall live by the works of the law, and if you look at the context of that, Paul is saying, yeah, the one who believes in the law and lives by the works of the law is going to stand openly condemned. Because God looks down and looks for the followers of the law, and the only thing he sees is a humanity full of sin, and their throat is an open grave, he says. You know, I was just uh, preaching on uh, Romans 10, I believe it was, um, a couple days ago, and uh, there it talks about the righteousness of the law, Romans 10. This was in the epistle reading from this last Sunday, Romans 10, verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments mm-hmm. shall live by them. And he says, that's not the righteousness that we preach. We preach a righteousness based on faith. Right. So theoretically, I suppose, if you did all the commandments of God perfectly, you would you would live. You would right. have eternal life. Yeah. Theoretically, if I could fly to the moon, I could go there. Very good. <laughs> I mean, but I don't, it's not in my possibility as a human. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, that's the problem. And so they're saying our works, particularly of love, and it's not like we're against love. We're, right. We're, as as Melanchthon here is going to explain, it's just you're, you're putting the, the cart before the horse mm-hmm. here. So last program, uh, our uh, program got from paragraph 97 through 102. Do you have a little summary or take on that? They were talking about 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2, where they say, if I have all faith but have not love, I am nothing. Uh, what does Melanchthon say about that? Yeah, so so the discussion on 1 Corinthians 13, 2 is, gonna, is going to continue into what we will discuss today. If I have all faith but have not love, I am nothing. And that's what the uh, the adversaries think that that's their their trump card. They think, mm-hmm. ha, we got you. Paul says, even if I have all faith, I have nothing without love. The move that Melanchthon is going to make is, of course, Paul is correct. Of course, love is necessary. We've always said love is necessary. But the logical conclusion that you're making, that therefore this love justifies, is not a logical conclusion. Yeah. You it know, does sometimes not follow. People- yeah. Sometimes mm-hmm. people, even Luther did this for a while, try to set St. Paul against St. James. But here Paul is saying pretty much the same thing what James says, you know, uh, that faith apart from works, if, if show me your faith by your works. Right. That if it's a faith that doesn't produce works, it's not really a true and living faith. Right. And so what Melanchthon will say is, if you throw out love, you are at the very best mortally endangering your soul and your faith. It's, your faith is not going to survive long if you're throwing out love. Mm-hmm. But it does not follow that love is going to appe- your love is going to appease God's wrath. So they quote passages that praise love, right. and there's plenty of them in the mm-hmm. Bible. God's all in favor of us Christians loving each other, right. uh, but they draw a false conclusion, conclusion yeah. that that somehow puts us right with God. Right. Yeah. Instead so, of the other way around. Paragraph 101 uh, says it real well. I mean, at the end of the day, Melanchthon writes, no one can conclude anything more from this text than this. Love is necessary. That's what the text says. Yeah. And he's talking about love for the neighbor. 
yeah. uh, especially here. And this is what he calls the second table of the law, right. our works toward our neighbor. And that's, you know, love is, that's what our calling is as Christians, right. is to love our neighbor as ourself. And, but that's, it's a wrong inference to say that therefore uh, we are justified, we are declared righteous before God because of this. Right. Yeah. All right. So... Um, that's the the uh, argument we're jumping into here, uh, that Philip Melanchthon, Luther's right-hand man and the guy who wrote the Apology, is refuting the confutation uh, against the Augsburg Confession, where the Roman Catholic Party is uh, advancing the notion that love somehow justifies us. And that's the big point here that Melanchthon's making. Love is highly praised, we're all in favor of love, but it doesn't justify us. What does justify us is faith. So we pick it up then, we're in the reader's edition of the Book of Concord, Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions. We're in Article 5, Love and Fulfilling the Law, and uh, we're uh, picking it up at paragraph 103, as follows. The adversaries corrupt very many passages because they bring to them their own opinions and do not derive the meaning from the passages themselves. Let me just pause there. Uh, I think that sentence in a nutshell, what would we call that? How would you describe that uh, method or process of doing theology? I would describe it as letting your reason pervade over the text. There might be a better theological word I was for thinking it, of the term eisegesis. eisegesis yeah. What do I mean mm -hmm. by eisegesis mm -hmm. instead of exegesis? Well, you read into rather than read out of. Yeah, I think right. that's mm -hmm. what that's what I mm -hmm. I thought that was a perfect definition mm -hmm. of uh, eisegesis. You're bringing your pre, pre now everybody comes to a text with presuppositions. Right. But when you let that override what the text in context is saying, right. That's not a good way to interpret right. the scriptures. All right. So that, that sentence really stood out for me. All right, so then Melanchthon goes on. For what difficulty is there in this passage if we remove the interpretation that the adversaries, that's the Roman Catholic Party, attach to it out of their own mind? They do not understand what justification is or how it occurs. The Corinthians, I mean, and we're quoting a passage from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the Corinthians, being justified before, had received many excellent gifts. In the beginning, they glowed with zeal, just as is generally the case. Then dissensions began to arise among them, as Paul points out. You see, what what is, what is Melanchthon doing here uh, when he's approaching this little verse? Context, 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 context. And this is the wonderful thing about our Lutheran confessions. And we read these confessions, and it's a Bible study. Yeah. Uh, it is buried deep within the scriptures. There's, we, They talk about logical arguments and philosophical arguments, but clearly it's the scriptures that dominate the discussion here right. in these confessions. And I've said many times about the Book of Concord, I, I, I just call it a great big Bible. Great big Bible study. Right. That's what it is. They'll also talk about how this then was confessed throughout church history mm -hmm. by the church fathers, but they're, all, they're always going back to the Word of God, the Scriptures. All right. Um, so Paul here is giving the context in Corinthians for the verse that is being misused. All right. Then dissensions began to arise among them, as Paul points out. They began to dislike good teachers. So Paul rebuked them, 
calling them back to offices of love. These are necessary. Yet it would be foolish to imagine that works of the second table, uh, through which we interact with humans and not properly with God, justify us. But in justification, we interact with God. His wrath must be appeased and conscience must be eased about God. None of these happen through the works of the second table. Again, uh, for for the benefit of our listeners who are not familiar with that term, that we, you know, we know it automatically. What is meant by the second table? Well, that would be commandments as we number them, uh, four through ten. So honor your father and mother uh, through uh, do not uh, covet your neighbor's house and your neighbor's wife and, and things. So the first three commandments, as we would number them, no other gods, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, and honor the Sabbath day, that's what we call the first table. That deals with our relationship uh, with God more exclusively. Mm -hmm. Now, if we honor God, don't take his name in vain, and honor the Sabbath day, of course that's going to have implications with our neighbor. The second table is, is really exclusively God is directing us toward our neighbor. God God doesn't need our works from the second table. But your neighbor does. But our neighbor does. And so to th- the idea that our works for our neighbor would appe- would do something to or for God is is not logical. It doesn't doesn't follow. Yeah. And so in the context here, uh Paul's been addressing this Christian congregation. Mm-hmm. They're already Christians, but they've They've gotten off track. They have these factions, these dissensions, and so Paul is calling them back to love. Um, how is it then a, a misunderstanding to take this little snippet of a verse and say that this is what justifies us? What, yeah. what, in, what con- in what place is this calling back to love in the context of the letter? Well, th- this is... Late. We're talking chapter 13 here. Yeah. And the, the Corinthians have already been baptized, which Paul exhorts them to their identity in, in baptism very mm-hmm. early on. And so Paul is explaining here how the justified live, not how the you get right sinners are justified, yeah. right? And that's what Melanchthon points out when he says that they don't understand justification. And for the Roman Catholic uh now, I'm not speaking for all Roman Catholics. I'm speaking, you know, officially what you can find in mm-hmm. their catechism and things like that. Uh, justification is a process. You become more and more justified with God as he gives you more and more grace to do more and more good things. So, of course, they would say we're justified by grace through faith. But but you realize it, you understand it, you can measure it and know it. They, they say, through works. But even they would admit you can never know it fully. A good, so this a good would put me in account. a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. It yes, would either, it would. I might become very proud, I'm doing pretty well, or I might become despairing, thinking, boy, I just can't do this. I keep yep. falling back on my love. It really depends on who you compare yourself to, doesn't it? Yeah. Or am I going to compare myself to, like, a Mother Teresa and go, oh, man, my works don't. <laughs> I, match I haven't that. done anything. Or am I going to compare myself to, uh, say, a Hitler? Well, then, then my works I are shining like good. the sun. Yeah. Um, so it really depends on on who you compare yourself to. But at the end of the day, what are you doing? You're looking at yourself, and you're looking at others, and your eyes are not directed at God. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you're not comparing yourself to actually the demands of his right. law, because if you did that, right. you would say, man, I'm not righteous. And often you're looking at outward actions, and the Lutheran confessions and the scriptures uh, the heart. Are, com- are really concerned with the heart. Yeah, because Jesus says, you may not have killed anybody, but if you hate it, your brother in your heart, right. you may have not slept with another man's wife, but if you have adulterous, lustful thoughts, mm-hmm. you've already broken the commandment. Right. Yeah, what Jesus is kind of... One of the things Jesus is getting in there is that the only thing that stopped you was getting caught. You know it. I know it. <laughs> yeah. If you had the opportunity. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, uh, they're basing justification, their right standing with God on the wrong thing. All right. So that's how they misuse this verse. If I have all faith, but have not love. All right. And uh, we all know this famous love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, where it talks about faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And that's where uh, Melanchthon goes next in paragraph 104. But they, the adversaries, object that love is preferred to faith and hope. For Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, the greatest of these, meaning faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. Now, it is reasonable that the greatest and chief virtue should justify. Yet Paul, in this passage, properly speaks about love toward one's neighbor and indicates that love is the greatest because it has the most fruit. Faith and hope have to do only with God, but love has infinite offices outwardly toward humanity. Indeed, let us grant to our adversaries that love toward God and our neighbor is the greatest virtue because the chief commandment is this, you shall love the Lord your God. But how will they conclude from this that love justifies. So in what way, Pastor Wood, could we say that love is the greatest of faith, hope, and love? In what sense? Well, they say here it bears bears the most fruit. It, it it's what, what does it we, mean by bearing fruit? Well it has love love produces uh the most works, I, I suppose you could say. Mm-hmm. And 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 it, it's not explicit here. Um but love also endures through the end, right? Faith and hope, uh, when Jesus comes back, faith, hope will be attained. And we'll, we'll see <laughs> And we'll then. see. Faith yeah. means you're not seeing it, but right. you're believing the promise. Hope is faith projected into the future. Right. And it'll be present, and You'll the promise it. will be fully received, and there will still be love, outward actions toward, toward our neighbor and, and with God. And so love really endures to the end and faith through and the hope end. are only for this life right and so love is the greatest and they even say now yeah it's reasonable it's a it's a reasonable thing to conclude that that the highest virtue would justify but this is where we have to yield our reason to what scripture actually mm-hmm. says mm-hmm. and scripture doesn't say it it says the exact opposite and if you actually use your reason and mm-hmm. interpret in context Mm-hmm. You you wouldn't draw the wrong conclusion right. because it would, mm-hmm. we would see the whole picture, as Melanchthon will point out, mm-hmm. and uh, see that uh, nowhere does the the Apostle Paul, uh, while he praises love, nowhere does he attribute it uh, to it the ability to justify. Right. All right. Very good. Now we go on um, to paragraph one o six and one o seven. But how will they conclude from this that love justifies? They say the greatest virtue justifies. By no means. 
For just as the greatest or first law does not justify, so also the law's greatest virtue, i.e. love, does not justify. But the virtue that justifies receives Christ, which brings to us Christ's merits by which we receive grace and peace from God. This virtue is faith. As it has often been said, faith is not just knowledge, but it is willing to receive or take hold of those things that are offered in the promise about Christ. Furthermore, this obedience toward God, that is, to want to receive the promised, the offered promise, is no less a divine service, Latreia, than is love. God wants us to believe him and to receive from him blessings. He declares this to be the true divine service. All right. So if love does, love is a great virtue out of faith, hope, and love, uh, but he says it doesn't justify, but he says, which of these virtues is it that does justify? The virtue that justifies is the virtue that receives passively the promise of God. And the term that he's using for that is? Faith. Faith. Yeah. Yeah. And how does it justify? Well, faith receives. It, It it is, it is what latches on to the promise. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways I describe it is that a promise really cannot be believed until it is communicated. And, and in God's case, until it is spoken to us through a Christian brother, sister, through a pastor, uh, through some missionary, mm-hmm. that God has come to us in his son, Jesus Christ, who has died and risen and ascended into heaven. And God is for us. That promise can't be believed apart from hearing it. It can't be mm-hmm. received apart from it being given. So well, faith is completely a work of God is what I'm trying to say yeah. because well, he gives us the promise. Think of it this way. You use the term passive uh, about receiving. That's what faith is. Love is the arrows in the other direction. Right. Love mm-hmm. is active. It's going out. It's giving. Um it seems like they're getting the arrows mixed up. Right. And this is very important, that, that, that we remember that faith in the first sense is passive. Now, we can, we can talk about faith in an active sense, mm-hmm. but it's really almost a secondary sense. Well, we're talking about justifying faith, right. saving faith. Is that passive. is purely passive. Right. And it's important to remember this because once you make it active, then you introduce doubt. Do what? I believe enough? We'll come back to this after our break. You're listening to Concord Matters on KFUO. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org careers. Three things make a believer. Oratio, meditatio, tentatio. Prayer, meditation, and growth. Which is why every weekday morning from 7 to 8 a.m. we bring you Orazio, an hour of solace, contemplation, scripture, sacred music, and faith. Orazio, 
The dawn breaks with prayer every morning on Worldwide KFUO. As soon as you play, I'm playing. I'm saying my first drum second's your first beat. I'm saying first, you two feet, then we might stand up. Like first you get your hands, then I get your hands up. My sound, your throat, my dance, your feet. You hear my no heartbeat. The metronome in your chest keeps you in time till there's no time. So you sing till you got no breath. And whoever's next dances to the song you've left. Music creates movements, inspire movements. Where I am, you've been. There was you, then there was music. Music follows you. Hi, I'm Mary Schmidt, Development Manager for KFUO. And I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson, Donor Care Specialist for the station. Please pray for the continued success of our ministry as the gospel message now goes across the world. Thanks for partnering with us so our red on-air light might stay lit. If you would like further information about being a partner, call me at 314-996-1518. Or me at 314-996-1520. Thank you in advance for your support. We are Worldwide KFUO. A small pocket Bible carried by Francis Merrifield, an American soldier in the Battle of Bunker Hill, survived the most iconic battle of the Revolutionary War. Of 400 American troops killed or wounded, he was one of the last to leave the field of battle. Writing extensively on the inside covers of the Bible, thanking God for his survival, on the back of the New Testament title page, he wrote, Cambridge, June 17, 1775. I desire to bless God in sparing my life in the late battle fought on Bunker's Hill. On display at the Museum of the American Revolution in Philadelphia, the Bible and its inscription showcases what the museum considers the role religious faith played in sustaining those involved in the American Revolution. Engage with the Bible in the stories surrounding this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. We are back on Concord Matters here on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. I'm your host today, Pastor Charles Henriksen from St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bonterre, Missouri. My guest is Pastor Matt Wood of Concordia Lutheran Church in Maplewood, Missouri. And uh, we invite your participation. Our phone numbers toll free across North America, 800-730-2727. Locally in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Our email address, kfuo at kfuo.org. We're in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 5, Love and the Fulfilling of the Law. And we're in the section about how the adversaries are misusing passages of Scripture to make their point that uh, love justifies and Philip Melanchthon, the writer of the Apology, is making uh, plain how they are misusing these passages to draw a false uh, conclusion. They're putting love before faith, and that is the wrong order to put things. And, we, and Pastor Wood has just said that faith is the receiving of God's promise, the receiving of God's gifts, and then love is the uh, following after, that is the giving out of what we have received to others. It is active, but it does not justify. It is uh, the promise of God uh, by which we are put right with God, his justification 
uh, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And then a, a real Christian faith will bear fruit, the fruit of love and good works. So that's, that's where we are in this section. We pick it up then at paragraph 108, where it says, The adversaries base justification on love because they everywhere teach and require the righteousness of the law. We cannot deny that love is the law's highest work. Human wisdom gazes at the law and seeks justification in it. So the scholastic doctors, great and talented men, proclaim love as the highest work and base justification on this work. Deceived by human wisdom, they do not look upon the uncovered, but upon the veiled face of Moses, just like the Pharisees, philosophers, and followers of Muhammad. Pastor Wood, who are these scholastic doctors, and what do they teach? Well, these are guys like Aquinas and uh, other scholars of the faith, their time period, maybe... Uh, late medieval. Yeah, late medieval. Like 1300s, that around there. And they're very, very uh, intellectual. These were the people who always, um, like Aquinas, wanted to prove God without using scripture. So they're, they're, they're heavily reliant on reason. And with their heavily reliance on and, reason... And the, 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 the revival of the philosophers, the ancient philosophers, mm-hmm. they let those categories sort of override the biblical... right. The, the uh, biblical points. witness, uh, which I think uh, was happening a lot with uh, uh, when the, the Jews and the and the Greeks, even in the New Testament, the Greek categories of thinking and Jewish categories of yeah. thinking were were getting uh, jumbled. Um, so, but using their categories, they and their assumptions about works, they really narrowed down on uh, their assumption, which Melanchthon is getting at here that. Love and works justify. That's what so says, love, it, love is wisdom. a law word. Yeah, love is a law word. When it talks about loving God with your whole heart, loving your neighbors mm-hmm. yourself, I mean, we think of love as warm and fuzzy, but actually, that puts a heavy demand on us if we're going to look to that, our love, uh, in order right. to get right with God. Right, and and really, it becomes a different religion altogether, which is why Melanchthon here groups the Romans in with uh, the Pharisees, philosophers, and followers of Muhammad. Who are so, the followers of Muhammad? M- Muslims. Muslims. So they got they got their, and there's some similarity then between the religion of the Pharisees and the religion of the Mohammedans, the Muslims, and the ancient Greek philosophers. The ancient Greek philosophers, In yes. what way? Well, they are relying on works. How good we are. Right, how good we are. Now, the... The Roman Catholics might focus on love, and uh, the Muslims might focus on o- obedience, uh, submission, submission, things like that. But at the end of the day, works are the key. And you can never really be sure. Right. If you've right. done enough. Right. Which is where uh, the need for purgatory and some sort of purification for for who knows how much, but whatever we didn't get accomplished— Whatever whatever job wasn't complete, you know, uh, that whatever work still have to be done will have to be done after after I'm dead somehow. Yeah. <laughs> right. So we talked about the religion, the righteousness of the law. I quoted that passage from Romans 10, verse 5, where Paul sets the righteousness of the law over against another kind of righteousness. And that's what uh, Melanchthon gets to next 
in paragraph 109. But we preach the foolishness of the gospel, in which another righteousness is revealed. For Christ's sake, as the atonement, we are counted righteous when we believe that God has been reconciled to us for Christ's sake. Neither are we ignorant about how far distant this teaching is from the judgment of reason and the law. Nor are we ignorant that the law's teaching about love makes a much greater show, for it is wisdom. But we are not ashamed of the gospel's foolishness. We defend this truth for the sake of Christ's glory and ask Christ by his Holy Spirit to help us so that we may be able to make this clear and obvious. Uh, you know, Melanchthon, I can see here, is paraphrasing a couple of uh, Bible passages, like where he says, we are not ashamed of the gospel's foolishness. Mm-hmm. What is he paraphrasing there? That's Romans 1, 16 and 17. Where and Paul says what? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the wisdom of God. The power of the God. The power of God. Unto the salvation of all who believe. Right. And then in... in Corinthians, and I forget the exact First Corinthians passage, 1. First Corinthians 1, where uh, we preach the foolishness of God. Yeah, the Christ, the wisdom, and the power right. of God. Uh, you know, then he says that the, the, the Jews look for uh, power and, you know, and signs, and, and the, the Greeks seek for wisdom, but mm-hmm. we preach Christ crucified. crucified. Yeah. So this is not something that your reason would latch on to. Uh, You wouldn't come up with this on your own, but it is preached, it is revealed that this is how we become righteous before God. So this is another kind of righteousness. And uh, who's this righteousness for, Pastor Wood? Well, it's for us, from Christ, for his sake. I I wonder if there are any listeners out here who have been laboring under this idea that, well, maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe I'm not right with God. Can I be sure? What words would you have for them today? You can absolutely be confident that God loves you because it is a fact that Christ has come to save the world. This is how God the Father loved the world, loves the world, John three sixteen, that he sent his only begotten son, not to condemn the world, but to have mercy. And so we can be confident that it is Christ who brings God the Father and his love to us, reveals God the Father's love to us. We can be absolutely confident because Christ has come, he has died, he has risen, and he still is interceding for us to this day at the right hand of God the Father in the power of his ascension. These are historical facts that happened apart from our ability to believe them or comprehend them. God has worked for you. This is a righteousness that resides outside of me. Right. And uh, this is something I can be, this is like building your house on on solid foundation, mm-hmm. not on the shifting sand of how my works seem. I can right. count on what Christ has done on the cross for me. Right. And and it's like Melanchthon is, is almost here, particularly he says, we're not ignorant about how far and distant this teachment is from the judgment of reason and the law. It's almost as if he's saying, look, I get it. Yeah. The 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 reason and fallen wisdom of mankind screams against this. It says there's got to be something I do. Yeah. We might even be able to say as fallen human beings that that okay, I'll I'll buy that God loves me. But sh- surely there's something he needs from mm-hmm. me. Mhm. <laughs> 
you know. You know, I was just, I'm listening to an audiobook right now by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce. And it's a fantasy about these people taking a bus ride up to heaven and uh, sort of like they're, they're being preached the gospel to, to them. And some of them are saying no. Mm-hmm. So there's this one guy who says, I'm a decent chap. I've got my rights. And yeah. then he, he's meeting somebody who had actually committed murder. I uh, said, I won't be lectured to you by uh, lectured by uh, someone like you. And he refuses the gift because he's claiming his own righteousness. Right. And yeah. so he takes the bus back to hell. Right. Yeah, that's such a great book, The Great Divorce, because it, it really brings out how we how we justify ourselves quite a bit and also a lot of times how we how we use Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right? I believe in God so that uh I can see my grandma again. Yeah. Does that, does that make sense and we're using They're more interested in right. seeing their grandma than being with Christ. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, we could go off on a tangent on that. All right, let's go on then uh paragraph 110. The adversary, now they're going to take up a different uh, passage here. The adversaries in the confutation, that's the rebuttal from the Roman Catholics, have also quoted Colossians 3.14 against us. Love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. From this, they conclude that love justifies because it makes people perfect. Although a reply about perfection could be made here in many ways, we will simply recite Paul's meaning. It is certain that Paul spoke about love toward one's neighbor. We must not think that Paul would credit either justification or perfection to the works of the second table rather than to the works of the first. If love makes people perfect, there will then be no need of Christ as the atonement, for faith receives Christ as the only atonement. This is far distant from Paul's meaning, who never allows Christ to be excluded as the atonement. Therefore, he speaks not about personal perfection, but about the integrity common to the church. Here again, it seems that the Roman theologians are taking a little snippet out of context. In what way are they doing that with this uh, mini verse from Colossians? Yeah, the, the writers of the Confutation is almost comical. They, they say, ah, see, it says perfect right there. It's like, well, yeah, but... In what way? In what, what way? Sense? What are they talking about perfection? And uh, I, I didn't check. I should have. I'm. I'm. I. I this is probably tell us some or form some of form. That, of yeah, telos. about complete. Right. Uh, 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 fully outfitted. This sort of thing. Right. But, but so this is um, a great. Again, he's uh, Paul is writing in, in verse twelve. Just a couple. Uh, I don't even know if it is a sentence. One sentence beforehand. Verse twelve. Put on, then, as God's chosen holy ones. This is Colossians 3, chapter 3, verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So we're already holy right. and beloved. we're already there. <laughs> He's calling them to be who you are right. as Christians. Put on, then, as who you already are, are, chosen by God, holy and beloved. Justification has already happened. And if justification has already happened for you, church, congregation, body of Christ... You're going to love one another. And if you don't, that's a problem, and you're threatening the work of Christ. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't make the work of Christ. If you want a well, Mm -hmm. uh, a good uh, congregation, you need to love one another. Right. Or else you're going to have all kinds of friction. You know, that's basically what what, uh, Paul is saying here. 
uh, not that you attain perfection and thus gain righteous standing before God. That's already taken care of through faith in Christ. All right. Um, so to, they're saying that Paul would somehow remove Christ from uh, from your justification. And he says, if, if, if your love could make you perfect, you really wouldn't need Jesus too much. Right. Yeah, and that's... Um they they respond to this I think earlier in 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 section or article five of the apology to this idea I don't know how universal it was among the Roman Catholics but this idea that 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 Christ came to die and rise to give you a kick in the pants right to give you kind of a a jump he forgives your original sin and then you gotta you gotta get going on or your an own. infusion of grace some like right. some PED to boost you on your ladder up to heaven right and. It just is not the the scriptural witness. Yeah, Melanchthon brings us time and time again back to the scriptural witness. If we want to base anything on our works, then everything has to be based on our works. Mm-hmm. If and anything is, everything is. And we've seen throughout the Lutheran confessions this twofold refrain that Melanchthon uses over and over and over again that our teaching on justification a gives true comfort to terrified consciences. And B, gives all the honor and the glory to Christ. Right. Because if you put it in us, you're taking away honor that belongs to Christ, and you're putting people in despair. Right. Right. And a very uh, concrete example of taking away honor from Christ is the idea that is very prevalent, especially among American Christians, uh, and it's in the Catholic Catechism as well, the idea of the anonymous Christian. Right. Putting, if you do your best, if, as long as someone's doing their best, uh, because the, the thinking goes, because uh, God show, gives us grace, and and what grace does is makes us better people, makes us gives us good works to do, and we can measure our grace by doing good works. If someone's doing good works, well, they got to have grace, don't they? Is is the false premise of so many people, not just uh, Catholics, but I think it's just the kind of default understanding. Of, of it's kind of a natural opinion that right. we have, and this is nothing new. You know, there was a guy named Karl Rahner who popularized this anonymous Christian teaching back in the early '60s, I think. But if you read, going back to the Middle Ages, Luther rails against this idea in the Heidelberg Disputation. He says there was this scholastic opinion: to the one who does that which is within him, God will not deny grace. In other words, if you just do your best, mm-hmm. God will reward you somehow. So somewhere along the line, you are the key to it, right? Whether at the start or at the end, uh, to uh, getting justified, right? Yeah. And and once, at any point when we're talking with appeasing God's anger with sin, uh, uh, satisfying His demand for righteousness and perfection, if at any point in the equation our works are brought into that then our works are all that matters. Because mm-hmm. we can count on Jesus. Let's say, all right, God did his part. Now you've got to do yours. Right. Well, And at that point, there's no It certainty. falls apart. Yeah. It's like a, a, I'm thinking of Monty Python and the Bridge of Death. Mm-hmm. You know, there. Well, let's say there were 99 boards across that chasm that were good, and there's mm-hmm. one that was about ready to break. You step on that one, you fall through. Right. It doesn't matter if there are 99 good ones or four you're going to fall to the bottom of the chasm. Right. Yeah, my, the, the image I use is 
like relying on your works is like trying to jump over the Grand Canyon. Now, I I might be able to a better jumper. I might be a better jumper. I might be able to jump a lot further than other people, but you're not going to make. <laughs> no it. one's going to make it to the other end. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's go on here. Uh, let's see. So, paragraph one eleven. Therefore, uh, in this passage from Colossians three, which says love binds everything together in perfect harmony. Therefore, Paul speaks not about personal perfection, but about the integrity common to the church. For this reason, he says that love is a bond or connection to show that he speaks about the binding and joining together of the many members of the church. In all families and in all states, unity should be nourished by mutual offices, and peace cannot be maintained unless people overlook and forgive certain mistakes among themselves. In a similar way, Paul commands that there should be love in the church in order that it may preserve unity, bear with the harsher manners of brethren as there is need, and overlook certain less less serious mistakes. This must happen, or else the church will fly apart into various schisms, and hostilities and factions and heresies will arise from the schisms. So what is the point here about love? I mean, what, why is Paul stressing this? Same reason, First uh, Corinthians thirteen. Love is how we interact with our neighbor. We need it. We to need live it to live together in a family, in a congregation. Right. right, and living harmoniously in a family, in a congregation, doesn't justify, but it is vitally important. Or else you're going to have a miserable time. Right, and and you, we're sinful people. There are even a number of sinners in our beloved LCMS. No. Yeah. <laughs> At Concordia and, Maplewood? Sometimes, yes. I heard all, that was everybody, everybody yeah. loved everyone there Well, all the, the time. The, the fewer people we have. The, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, we can, the point I'm making is we, can, we don't have to look far to see the wisdom of these words. There are schisms and fractures all across every denomination and every congregation, and we see the damage that does uh, to faith and to the gospel when we don't love. So it is a very necessary outpouring of faith that we bear with one another. But it doesn't justify. Because mm-hmm. even through all the schisms, we're still justified. American Christianity, how many denominations are there in America? 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, tomorrow there'll be 10,000. We're still justified. But does that mean it's helpful <laughs> to no. have all these denominations? No. But God's love is still certain. So he's exhorting these Christians to love one another as God has loved them. Right. All right, let's see if we get a little further here. Uh, this goes on with the same thought. Paragraph 112. Unity cannot last, is necessarily dissolved, whenever the bishops impose heavier burdens upon the people or when they have no respect for weakness in the people. Dissensions arise when the people judge too severely the conduct of teachers or despise the teachers because of certain less serious faults. For then another kind of teaching and other teachers are sought after. On the other hand, perfection, that is the church's integrity, is preserved when the strong bear with the weak, when the people put up with some faults in the conduct of their teachers, and when the bishops make some allowances for the people's weaknesses. Let's just pause here. I have observed, I'll be 25 years in the ministry. If people wanted to 
make a case against any pastor, even the best pastors. If you're looking for his little peccadillos or, uh, oh, he didn't shake my hand the right way that one time. You can make a case to run out any pastor, I suppose. Oh, yeah. Talk about that a little bit. Well, the the thing that pops into my hand or into into my mind is... uh, there's a book called Open Secrets by Robert Lisher, and he tells a story in that book of the – he's at a congregation, Lutheran congregation, and the, the Sunday school children are going to sing a song, and they, they choose to sing, Shine, Jesus, Shine. And one of the fathers of one of the Sunday school children, uh, probably a curmudgeon, this contemporary, these contemporary songs we should be – you know, the, the children sing, shine, shine, Jesus, Shine, and this father just gets up and starts slow clapping. And you can tell he's just mocking it, upset and mocking the whole situation. And he slow claps over his head and slowly walks out of the church. Hmm. And the pastor's like, oh, we got to deal with that. We have to deal with this. This is serious stuff. And the elders look around and go, you know, everyone kind of realizes that he's a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> and we all just let it go. Does so that make sense? Yeah, uh, we, we have to put up another. with one we another. Put up with one another. Or yeah. else the church is just going to fly apart. Because, you know, the pastors can look at their congregational members. How come they don't get it? Why right. aren't they in church here every Sunday? They're using this or that as an excuse. Why aren't they coming to Bible class? How come they're making a big stink about this? And the people are looking at the pastor. How come he's wearing these uh, wrinkled clothes and he's driving mm-hmm. people away and he's insisting on this or whatever? we got to put up with one another. Right. Yeah, so I think that's what is uh, how Melanchthon is understanding what Paul writes here in Colossians about the need to love one another. Well, uh, I believe we're coming up. How much time we have here? Another minute? 30 seconds. Pastor um, uh, Matt Wood, I want to thank you for stepping in here. You did double duty today, the work of two men here on Concord Matters, so we thank you for that. My pleasure. Always great to be here. Good, good. You've been listening to Concord Matters. I'm Pastor Charles Henriksen from St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bonterre, Missouri. Join us next time for Concord Matters here on Worldwide KFUO.